Welcome to the Napoleon Assist. It's already day eight of Waterloo Remembered. We are exactly halfway through and we are definitely gearing up for the climax of this vast project. Tomorrow and the day after, that's the 13th and 14th of June, I'm releasing double interviews back to back with Marcus Cribb, manager of Apsley House, and Robert Pocock, manager of Campaigns and Culture, on the Forgotten Battle of Waterloo, and the following day with the historians Gareth Glover and Andrew Field. Then, on the 15th, the first day of the Waterloo campaign, the Voices of the Battlefield series will kick off with the first 10 of our 41 readings of eyewitness testimony. There'll also be a great interview with historian Will Fletcher and the live tweets will start off on the 15th. Voices from the Battlefield and those tweets will continue every day until the end of the 18th of June. On the 17th, I'll also be joined for the last interview with historians Jacqueline Reiter and Beatrice de Graaf on Waterloo's legacy and then on the 18th of June, Waterloo Day itself, there will be a live streamed memorial service delivered by Reverend Stephen Fletcher at 11 o'clock which you can watch for free on the Waterloo Association YouTube page. So there's a lot to look forward to this week as well as joining in the discussion online on Twitter using the hashtag Waterloo Remembered but today I want to focus on a question which has come up a lot in interviews and which is pretty fundamental to the question of remembering the battle. Why does Waterloo matter? It's a question which I tried to answer during an interview for a future learn course back in 2015 for the 200th anniversary and being a pretty green masters grad I made a bit of a hash of it if I'm being honest. What I said held water but it wasn't particularly well articulated and I think it's worth revisiting, unpicking and elaborating upon. So to start off then, here's a 22-year-old version of me speaking on why Waterloo is important. Hi, I'm Zach White. I'm a master's graduate from the University of Southampton and I'm here today to discuss why the Battle of Waterloo was so important. One of the most obvious reasons for why Waterloo is so significant in European history is of course that it marks the climax of the Napoleonic Wars. But Waterloo is far more than simply its position on a timeline. However, Waterloo is also primarily significant because it makes a fantastic story. And I think that's what really appeals to the public. Waterloo marks the culmination of two great military careers. It was the final battle for both Napoleon and for Wellington. For Napoleon and Wellington not to have met at Waterloo would have meant that Wellington's final battle would have been the Battle of Toulouse. And this would have been an enormous disappointment. Toulouse uh, in April 1814 was actually a futile battle. It was fought just days before news of Napoleon's resignation arrived in southern France. And in some respects, it was a loss for Wellington. He actually lost more men than his opponent, Marshal Soult, but it was the fact that the French then withdrew in the night after the battle which made it a tactical victory for Wellington. With Waterloo, there is no such discrepancy. There is no question that this is Wellington at his greatest. Now, it can't be denied that the involvement of the Prussians was crucial. If it hadn't been for the Prussian assistance, then Napoleon and Wellington would never have fought at Mont Saint-Jean on the 18th of June. However, one of the other great things about Waterloo, in terms of how it makes such a fantastic story, is that for scholars, they're able to identify some of the great hallmarks of Napoleonic warfare in the battle. For Wellington, we can see a fantastic eye for the terrain, which he's become so famous for. We also have Wellington's use of the reverse slope, which is a tactic which he used many times during the Peninsular War. And finally, for those of us who feel that Wellington was a defensive general, which is open to debate, Wellington clearly fought a defensive victory, waiting for the Prussians to arrive. 
from Napoleon we see some of the classic tactics which he employed throughout his career, notably the use of columns to uh, move his men forward to attack the British lines, uh, the use of his elite Imperial Guard, which were broken for the first time at Waterloo, and also the use of artillery, massing a grand battery to bombard the Allied lines. From the Wellington Papers, which are held here at the University of Southampton's Hartley Library, it was interesting to see just how irritated Wellington had become in the weeks before Waterloo with the British government. Wellington at one point goes so far as to accuse the British government of not taking the war seriously enough, and this was a major accusation. Wellington had made accusations against the government before in terms of their lack of support of the war, particularly during the Peninsular War, and I'm thinking here particularly of the time between 1810 and 1812, when the government was far less stable. In 1815, however, that wasn't the issue, and Wellington's anger was plain to see and also very interesting to observe. The last and probably the most interesting factor which I discovered was based on some work that I did with caricatures during the time. Some of my previous work on caricatures during the Peninsular War have identified a very Anglo-centric focus. Uh, during much of the Peninsular War, there was very little acknowledgement of the contribution that other nations were making to the struggle against Napoleon. Now that did change towards the end of the period, particularly by 1814, but there is always a sense that Britain is taking the heaviest load, Britain is lending the greatest hand to the struggle. And that continued at Waterloo despite the involvement of the Prussians. Although the Prussian involvement was acknowledged, it was invariably the case that Wellington or the British were shown to be taking the greatest involvement in the battle. And this is perhaps understandable given that it was Wellington's defensive stance that initiated the Battle of Waterloo. But nonetheless, it's possible through looking at these caricatures to see where the dominant myth and the tendency to write the Prussians out of history when it comes to the Battle of Waterloo has come from. And so that summarises why I feel at least that the Battle of Waterloo is one of the most important battles in European history. So that was me in 2015, somehow managing to sound even more stuck up than I normally do. As you could hear, some of those points need clarification. Does Waterloo matter simply because it makes a good story? Well, historically, no, of course it doesn't. Its military and geopolitical significance is huge, and the scale of its impact in those areas has been explained brilliantly by my interviewees. But for the public, it's actually a different story. Waterloo is an endpoint a clear, definitive, climactic episode that appears to not only provide a full stop to the Napoleonic Wars, but which also facilitated a period of relative peace on the European continent. On the surface of things, the story of Waterloo is quite clear and lends itself to drama. Bernard Cornwell made the point that when it came to writing Sharp's Waterloo, he tried and failed to weave something bigger into the story of the campaign, before eventually deciding that actually... Waterloo was drama enough by itself. As Wellington himself said, it was, after all, a close-run thing. And that leads into the point that I made about tactics. Because Waterloo has this iconic, era-defining status, it has become the classic case study for conflict in this period, and that in turn has informed popular history of the period. There are those out there, believe it or not, who think that every Wellington victory was preceded by a storm and took place on a Sunday. Now, the realities of war are, of course, that that's total rubbish. Yet Waterloo features many of the hallmarks of conflict which were deemed to be typical of this period. Napoleon's use of columns, the committing of the Imperial Guard to try and turn the tide, the reverse slope technique by Wellington to hide his men within the terrain, 
the use of squares against cavalry, line against infantry columns. All of those are written into people's popular knowledge of the period because, in large part, of Waterloo and perhaps the Sharps books. But those who like to claim that Wellington was a defensive general particularly draw on Waterloo alongside battles like Talavera in 1809, Bosaco 1810 and Fuente Donero in 1811. What they then choose to ignore is the scale of his successes when Wellington did choose to attack, such as Oporto in 1809, which facilitated the liberation of Portugal. Salamanca, 1812, and its aftermath, redefined the strategic situation in the Peninsular War, although that wasn't readily apparent at the time. And Vittoria in 1813 ejected the French almost completely from Spain. Those who like to point to Waterloo as a defensive victory also missed the point that the whole reason the Anglo-Dutch army stood and fought at Waterloo was to occupy the French, hold the line until the Prussians arrived, and then strike back, as Wellington and Blücher did, towards the end of the battle. But back in 2015, I wouldn't say that I really cut to the heart of the question, as why Waterloo matters for the public, and why Waterloo matters for popular history, which is what I've talked about so far, doesn't explore what Waterloo meant at the time. When Wellington woke up on the 19th of June, he didn't know that the Napoleonic Wars were almost over. There was a real possibility that Napoleon could have attempted a protracted defence of France within the fortress belt on the French-Belgian border. Yet the momentum had completely shifted. Before the Waterloo campaign, Wellington and Blücher had been biding their time, waiting for the Russian and Austrian forces to reach France's borders before launching an overwhelming combined assault. By shattering the French army at Waterloo, it was Napoleon who was on the back foot. There has been a long debate about whether victory at Waterloo could have transformed the diplomatic headache that Napoleon faced, with Britain's army defeated for the first time in almost a decade, and with the Prussians out of action, might Russia and Austria have paused? With the Netherlands back under French control, would the French nation have rallied to the notion of Napoleon restoring France's lost glory? Was there some kind of prospect of an independent peace with individual nations, whilst Napoleon continued the war with others? The truth is, we'll never know. What we do know is that Waterloo did finally lead to peace in Europe that brought more stability than the continent had seen in a generation. The Vienna settlement was not perfect by any means, but it did lead to a system of holding congresses to try and resolve issues through the continued focus on balance of power. That obviously led to ongoing failures to recognise the rights of smaller independent nations, which became bargaining chips in a number of cases. It also didn't stop the wars of German unification, but it was nonetheless a more stable Europe, at least until 1914. For Britain, Waterloo was seen as a crowning achievement for both the nation and the army. The Brits were able to manipulate the narrative of Waterloo, to reframe it as a British victory, and that legacy, that misinformation, persists to this day. Defeating Napoleon on the battlefield further cemented Britain's reputation as an unvanquished opponent of Napoleon's tyranny, not only having defeated the French at sea, and having bankrolled the armies of other coalition powers, but particularly given its role in liberating Spain and Portugal from French control. The fact that Wellington had commanded at Waterloo, 
allowed a narrative to be constructed of Britain as the leading power, with an undefeated army, an army that in truth was so sufficiently feared that no one raised the matter of Britain returning colonies which had been summarily taken since the breakdown of the Peace of Amiens. Many of these, most notably the Cape of Good Hope, formerly a Dutch colony, and of course the Dutch were allied to the Brits by this point, would become vital launch pads for British imperial expansion over the course of the next century. Waterloo, however, was actually important precisely because it was not an exclusively British victory. It took a coalition, seven of them in fact, to bring down one of history's great commanders, and, like him or loathe him, there is no denying that Napoleon was an exceptionally gifted general. France's empire was on a scale not seen certainly since Charlemagne, and arguably not since Rome. Waterloo was a testament to the importance of nations coming together to overcome an overwhelming threat. 205 years later, that message of the value of working with other nations to overcome the impossible is perhaps more important than it's ever been. Remember, you can hear more episodes from the Waterloo Remembered series here on The Napoleon Assist, and be sure to join me tomorrow when I'll be joined by Marcus Cribb and Rob Pocock as we discuss the forgotten battle of Waterloo. Until then, I'm Zach White. This has been Waterloo Remembered from The Napoleon Assist. Take care, my friends. Stay safe. And as ever, thank you for listening. Thank you.